Wells, and welcome to the Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production, where we look at the Seahawks from every angle, every week. As always, I am your host, Candace Hagens, and you already know, it's a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you. Happy Father's Day for all of the fathers that may be listening right now. It is Father's Day as of the day of this recording. So I want to give a quick shout out to you guys. And I hope you guys get the love and the adoration that you deserve on this day. But we got some things to get into to talk about. Last episode, we did parsing Pete. A lot of what he talked about in his press conference following the conclusion of the Seahawks minicamp. And I just felt like there was a lot more to get into. So last episode, I just sort of touched on the highlights, the most interesting talking points that Pete talked about. But as you know, Seahawks 360 likes to break everything down. And so I want to talk more about some of the storylines, some of the comments that I found notable. We're not going to do it in the same format as Parsing Pete because this time I don't, I don't think I'm translating anything in terms of what he said versus what I think. I just, I just found some things that he said to be notable, and I want to talk about them. So, we got a lot to get into today. Let's get started. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about that Pete mentioned was the tight end room. And he talked about each tight end and sort of their role in the offense. One thing that I found particularly notable was that he said that the tight ends were going to be a big part of what they want to do this year. And Seahawks fans know you guys know it has not been the case it's not been the case at all for the Seattle Seahawks and I actually think that has a lot to do with Russell Wilson he just he doesn't have the tendency to take the check downs and he's always trying to go for the big play and with players like Geno and Drew Locke I think that tight ends are going to be more integral I think they'll be more relied upon. I do think that they'll be a bigger part of the offense. I don't think that it ever had anything to do with Shane Waldron not wanting to implement them. In fact, I think the opposite. I think, you know, you just have a quarterback and you had a quarterback who just that wasn't the strength of his game and that wasn't what he wanted to rely upon, especially when you have wide receivers like DK and T-Lock. You know, you can't get mad at that, but I'm excited for seeing a tight end more so you the tight ends get more involved in the offense and I think it'll be exciting to see Pete Carroll noted that Noah Fant actually had one of the most spectacular camps um, and he talked about how easy of a transition it was for this offense as excellent news to hear because Noah Fant is a guy who could be a key part of this team for the future so for a team that's looking to rebuild that can be a cog if he if he is good at his at his job and he really flashes the way he does in camp he transitions that on the field i'm really excited for what this offense can be especially um, once we get a solidified quarterback at the quarterback position another thing he talked about was that kobe parkinson actually had a very exciting camp that he'd gotten better at blocking he sort of gained a little bit more power to himself and, and built himself to be a more versatile tight end, which is extremely exciting to hear. And then he talked about Will Disley and his ability to do pretty much everything. And we know that is one of Will Disley's strengths. He's not particularly explosive anymore, but I do think he's a quality player. I think he, I think Will Disley has more to offer than what was displayed. Like I just talked about, the tight ends just weren't utilized. And with him having the split reps with Gerald Everett and coming off injury, I just don't think he's really been given that opportunity. 
Now, I'll be honest, the Seahawks completely overpaid for re-signing Will Disley, and I think that's one of their biggest mistakes of the offseason, just how much money they gave him, especially hearing how well Noah Fan is doing and how spectacular a camp he's having. I just think those resources were unnecessary. And they, in, in hindsight, they could have afforded to lose Will Disley, but I know they didn't yet know about the rush trade, and so they wanted to make sure they secure one of their veterans in the team. I don't know if Will Disley will ever live up to the contract that he's signed to, but I do think he'll be a helpful and important contributor to the team. So you might wonder, with these three tight ends, how do you utilize all of these guys and really get full value for them? And I really think there is a way to do it, even though you do have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf already as threats. I think that Kobe Parkinson is going to be a red zone target with his size, with his build. I think that he's that kind of guy. He was that in college. He very much so was that in college. And so I was a little disappointed and I am disappointed that to this point, we haven't really seen Kobe Parkinson have an impact in that way. But I think that could change this year. I'd like to see him develop and be that touchdown guy. The, the guy when, you know, especially in goal line type of situations, he's got the strength to sort of box out, for lack of a better term, of uh, the cornerback and, and, and catch those 50-50 balls. I think Noah Fenn is obviously going to be your big play guy. I think that he is explosive. He can do some of everything. I think he'll end up getting a lot of touchdowns, but I think his touchdowns will come less from goal line situations and more from just explosive plays that he makes. And I see Will Disley as being a little bit everything. He's he's going to be critical to the blocking game. I know that for sure. But I think he will be pretty good in terms of yards. The role I'd love to see him develop where I think he'd we'd see the most value for him for his contract would be if he became a third down kind of tight end, a guy that can help keep the sticks moving and can be relied upon for that. I think he'd be excellent in that role. And I think from a Seahawks perspective, if he can do that, especially with how much the team has struggled with third downs lately, I think a lot of people will better appreciate. I mean, no one's going to be happy about the contract, but I think that gives it enough value to where you can justify it if he can sort of find that role for himself. And I think he'll be there for other things too, yards here or there, but that'd be the best suited role for him, I feel. But, you know, you never know because Noah Fant could easily be that guy, especially with as talented as he is. You you don't know. So that's, that's sort of my hope, but I can also see a world where Noah Fant just comes in and he becomes a, a reliable third down guy. You know, who knows? But even if Disley doesn't find a defined role or niche for himself within the rotation, I still think he'll be a valuable asset in a lot of ways to the team. So I'm not worried about, about that part. My official the prediction is that Kobe Parkinson leads the team in touchdowns, that Noah Fant leads the team in yards, and Will Disley leads in neither, but has a combination of the two. I'm very interested in what you guys think. So feel free to comment when I post this podcast. I'd like to hear what you guys, what your thoughts are. And if you think Will Disley or Noah Fant will end up leading in touchdowns, it's definitely an interesting conversation to have, especially if they're going to be a more critical part of the offense going forward. So that's all I got on my tight end thoughts. Let's talk about these injuries, these 
constantly plaguing injuries. Pete talked a little bit about it in his press conference. So we already know that DK Metcalf is injured. Jamal Adams is injured. Quandre Diggs is injured. And we talked about a few other injuries as well. Now, Quandre is set to be back and he'll be fine by the time training camp rolls around. He's on track. There is a question mark around both DK and Jamal since they had, I think, I think, I think Jamal may be more likely to be ready for training camp. My hope is that he's ready for training camp, but DK is a little questionable because he had an off season procedure. So you never know what those kind of things, um, if, if that'll work out where he can start when training camp starts and given his contract situation, you know, maybe he wouldn't participate either way. So we'll be keeping an eye out for that. But in terms of other injuries, Gabe Jackson, we learned, had an off-season uh, off procedure on his knee or something along those lines. I, I hope that that helps him be a little bit more productive. Maybe he was struggling with an injury throughout the season, which is sort of playing through it, and that sort of explains his really mediocre year. I mean, I wouldn't call it bad, but it definitely wasn't good. So maybe that means we'll see more improvement for him during the season. But I do think that means he might miss some of training camp. We'll see. Uh, right now, uh, Phil Haynes has been getting a lot of snaps at that position. So I don't I don't know what that will mean long term. But I know he'll be ready for the season. I just you hope that these guys can get reps during training camp, especially given the quarterback situation, the competition that's going on. You just want these quarterbacks to get reps with the starters, with the best. And you want to be able to evaluate them accordingly. But even beyond those, Pete Carroll talked about some additional injuries, some people who may not be ready for training camp. D. Eskridge suffered a hamstring issue, and it's really unfortunate. It's not looking good for that pick because he struggled with injuries so much in college that he changed his number just to get a fresh start. And it's, it's looking like he might have to do the same thing with the Seahawks. This is a young guy in his second year who's had little to no opportunity to not just play, but to practice even. Like, he's not really even been able to practice. He didn't really get to participate in training camp last year. He's questionable to go into training camp for the for this year. I mean, how can you expect this guy to really contribute and add to your team if he's never even available for the practices, let alone the games? So that that's a concern. I'll be honest. I'm not, I was not happy to hear about that. It just, to me, feels like his college ha- history is following him into the NFL, which doesn't always happen, but it looks like that's the case for him. I I really hope I'm wrong. I hope that he can play all of training camp, and I hope that he can play this season because his team needs a fast wide receiver. And I know that's why they added Marquise Goodwin, but, I mean, they drafted this guy for a reason. His ability to be a threat on fly sweeps will be really helpful to this team that – is will be run first to be quite frank it'll be a run first offense and so that threat that horizontal threat and not just being a vertical threat means a lot to the success of the potential Seahawks run game if they want to win any games they've got to be able to to be a threat horizontally just as much as they are vertically and so you hope this guy gets healthy you hate to see that especially for a guy this young so early in his career but we'll see And unfortunately, that was not the end of the list of people who might not be ready for training camp. Trey Brown is still recovering and and is trying to push for being ready for training camp, but it's not exactly looking promising. 
Marquise Blair is also pushing for training camp, but he is not looking promising. We'll talk more about Marquise Blair here in a second. I'll come back to him. But then you got guys like BBK, Ben Ben Burkerbin, who he suffered, uh, I believe, an ACL tear. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. I'm just saying off the top of my head. But anyway, he has yet to be I don't, I don't know if he'll be ready for training camp is what Pete said. And the same thing for John Radigan. John also might not be ready for training camp. So it's really, I mean, the fact that a lot of last year's injuries are just kind of continuing into this year's <laughs> the opportunities is, is a little concerning. The last thing that the Seahawks need on a, I don't want to say bad roster, but it's definitely not the same, that it is not the same level of talent that it was before. They don't need all the help they can get, and staying away from injury, injuries will be a big part of that. This team can't afford to be depleted at key positions. They just they just can't, not with the quarterback situation being what it is right now. There's no one that help carry or erase those mistakes. Russell Wilson was the eraser in a lot of ways, and this team just can't afford hits like that, or they'll have a year as bad as it was last year. It's how it goes. Moving on, other injuries that were key to look out for. Now, these guys will probably be fine for training camp, so that's good news. But, you know, it's it's something to note. So, Bo Milton, Derek Young, they had sort of hamstring issues and hamstring soreness. The guys, now that the team was being precautionary, they really want them to be fine for training camp. So, they just sort of held them out of mini camp, just trying to make sure that they were okay. That had a lot to do with conditioning. More than anything else, these guys um, were not conditioned well. And it's something that Pete Carroll talked about that seemed to sort of irritate him. He he sort of hinted and implied through various times throughout his press conference that, you know, the importance of conditioning for one and just that he didn't feel like these guys were up to standard and how important it will be for them because essentially Pete said he wants to get these guys a lot of reps. These rookies, he plans to put a heavy workload on them in training camp and in the preseason because he really wants to know what they're made of in order to make the best possible decision for who's going to start when the season begins week one. So that those are things, some things to watch. I really hope that these guys can buckle down and get serious about conditioning because, we can, like I said, this team can't afford injuries. And this team really is relying on its rookies to sort of be able to contribute in meaningful ways. If this rookie class is injury riddled, then this Seahawks team, quite frankly, is in trouble. It just is. And so along the same lines, Kenneth Walker third was also injured. Same situation, sort of a hamstring thing. They tried to slow him down first, apparently, and that still didn't solve the issue. So they just had to take him out completely. You don't love to hear that, given Chris Carson is looking at potentially being having to retire for medical reasons. Rashad Penny, we know his injury history. He had a hamstring issue for minicamp as well. You just... The last thing that this team can afford, and I keep saying the last thing, but really, it's it's that's the worst case scenario for the Seahawks is to have their potentially star running back. I think that Kenneth Walker the third has star potential to be one of the better rookie running backs for sure, but I say one of the better ones in the league, top half for sure. And so if he's got that potential, he's got to be able to be out on the field field in order to prove that. I mean. 
No different than the Chris Carson situation. When he was healthy, he's a star, but he just wasn't healthy often. So really hoping that Kenneth Walker III will, will be fine, not only just for training camp, but that he'll be durable throughout the season because his team will need him. Now, the good news is I looked up his injury history in college, and he I could really only find one injury that he had. And he played through that. It was like an ankle sprain slash pulling. It's what they called it. But he played through that game, and I don't think he missed any time. So you love to hear that, the ability to play through injuries. He really seems to be a tough young man. So uh, I know that the Seahawks would be cautious of him now. They would want to put him in that kind of position just for mini camp training or even training camp for that matter. But hopefully that when it comes down to the games, he'll be able to show up and be the durable star running back that this team desperately needs so mountain of injury right like that's that's a lot of injuries that a lot of potential guys that might not even make it to the beginning of training camp and training camp hasn't even started so i gotta be honest i'm concerned about that maybe you guys are not perhaps i'm overreacting but i'll admit that's definitely a storyline to watch for as we look forward to training camp coming up soon So I mentioned before that we were going to talk a little bit more about Marquise Blair. And he really is a curious case. The case of Marquise Blair has been interesting to watch. And I really kind of feel bad for the poor guy at this point. As I said, Marquise Blair may not be ready for training camp yet. So that's another disadvantage to him in a place where he's really got to compete in order to prove his spot on, on this team. You know, he was really never given a true opportunity to prove himself at any point. And some of that is because of injury. But even his rookie year, when injury wasn't necessarily a factor, they didn't play him against the likes of Tedrick Thompson and Bradley McDougal. He really didn't get a lot of reps. He played some. I'm not going to pretend like he didn't, but I think they could have given him more opportunity. They just they didn't seem to trust him. And as a result, they went out and they got Jamal Adams and they got Quandre Diggs. And it, it really left, it left him being forced to compete at the nickel spot with Ugo Amadi. And because of injury, Ugo Amadi ultimately won that spot. And I think Ugo eventually probably got an edge on him, but I think that had a lot to do with reps, just that he got the experience more. I think Marquise Blair could have been incredible in that role. Anytime we've seen him, at least not preseason is little, it's not much to go on, but he's dominant in preseason and that's not anything, but he's had games like games where he showed flashes of just how great he can be in causing turnovers and forcing fumbles. He's had these moments that we've been able to witness, but just hadn't been able to see him put it together for any extended period of time. And now I have no idea where he fits on this team. And this part has more to do with health more than anything else. But at this point, you found an excellent backup safety in Ryan Neal. So where does he fit in in that? I mean, I I don't even know. Ryan Neal has really found a spot in a rotation for himself on this team. He's been able to do or emulate anything that this team has needed Jamal Adams to do, whether it's blitzing or, or coverage. He's done an amazing job, and he's earned that. So Marquise Blair would then be under Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, and Ryan Neal. 
that's just, I don't know how you really see the field at that point. I mean, right, Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams are getting paid too much to be playing a lot of snaps off the field for you to be rotating other guys in. You expect those guys to play a dominant amount of the snaps. And the few snaps that they don't get, I think, goes to Neil. Then you look at the cornerback position, and I've already talked about how competitive that spot is. You got Ernie, Ernie, Artie Barnes, Artie Barnes. You have Justin Coleman. You got Ugo Amadi, who's gotten much more experience under his belt at this point, despite having a down year last year. And then you've got Marquise Blair. Really, where does he fit in? When Pete Carroll talked about him and what he hopes to see for him in this team, he mentioned that he wants to bring them in, that he wants to bring them in at safety on some of the nickel and dime packages. But I'm just, I, I don't see how he can find a consistent rotation on this team at all. I mean, it's really unfortunate for him because I, I really believed in the guy, quite frankly. But when he was on the field last year, he did not prove to be much of anything other than mediocre. I mean, he wasn't a liability, but he definitely wasn't, he didn't show any flashes in that time. And I think a lot of that has to do with just so many missed reps, so many missed time, so many missed practice time. I don't really know how you can hone your craft when all you're doing is rehabbing. And that's pretty much all he's been doing. So you just, you just hate to see this. It's a curious case. If he's healthy, I just don't see how he sees the field that often. And that's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate to see. But that's the situation that we're in. So there's just another interesting note that I bring up. But let's move on and talk a little bit about the O-line. Both Shane Waldron and Pete Carroll made comments throughout minicamp about how well the tackles were doing in transitioning into uh, the NFL, which is great. You want to hear that, especially because – This team needs both Abe Lucas and uh, Charles Cross to be solid contributors to the team. You really want them to be starters. You'd love that. And I think Charles Cross is making his way. I think he's established himself as a starter. Right now, Abe Lucas is actually, they're sharing snaps, first team snaps, with uh, Stone Forsyth, who was a six-round pick last year. And that's interesting to me. I this comment was made, and I haven't really seen anybody talking about this, but I find that to be a little interesting because Stone Forsyth, when drafted, was initially pegged as simply a pass rush, a pass protector. He was just going to be a left tackle. Most people didn't think he had at all the capability to be a right tackle. I find that pretty encouraging. I, I, I'm going to take it as a sign of encouragement that. He has worked on his game, worked on his skill set to become more versatile, been gotten a lot stronger, been able to do more when it comes to the running game. I do think that speaks more to Abe Lucas's inability not to be able to run protect, though. If Stone Forsyth, who is also known for pass protection, is sharing snaps with him probably because of the run blocking and the, and the, and the need for that that the Seahawks have. So... It's very interesting that while most people project there'll be two rookies starting, that very well Stone Forsyth could easily beat out Abe Lucas. Typically, up to this point, the right tackle position has been looked at as being between Jake Curhan and Abe Lucas, rightfully so. But there's been a third contender thrown or competitor thrown into the mix. And so that's an interesting storyline to follow 
I, you know, it shouldn't, but it actually makes me feel a little bit better if someone who's had a little bit more experience, even though Shane, I mean, Stone Forsyth doesn't have really experience. He's just been in the system more, knows football more. It, it actually made me feel a little bit better if at least he started for the first few weeks because I did a little bit of research and I found this PFF case study and it talked about how tackles do in their rookie year. And it turns out that, of course, top 10 picks generally do very well. So that just goes into what we're all thinking. No one really expects Charles Cross to, I mean, we know he'll make mistakes, but everybody thinks he'll be a competent starter. And their case study showed that. It showed that that top 10 offensive linemen drafted had a value of plus 2.4 for their teams across the board. It's if and I think you had to have over 500 snaps or something to be eligible for this case study. So very excellent quality, or especially for rookies, to be able to contribute to the team. So not worried about him. It's the concern for offensive tackles who were drafted after the second round that is not promising. Now, devil's advocate, others could say that Abe Lucas was he was projected to be a second round pick, but he failed to the third round. But those guys who were drafted after the second round had a negative value of negative 1.2. So not great. And I can see how that would be problematic. You know, we don't want, we, we don't need the team. The last thing it can afford, I'm sorry, I keep saying the last thing it can afford, but they just don't want a lot of penalties. The Seahawks have endured a tough time with the likes of Jermaine and Fetty. And I think that may be one of the things that causes the rookies who were drafted after the second round to be a more of a liability. I think it comes down to penalties more than anything else, just sort of learning and getting comfortable with the game. And the NFC West is still tough when it comes to pass rushers. You got the likes of Nick Bosa, JJ Watt, even in his age is still very effective as a pass rusher. Uh, there's, there's, it's just not easy to, to pass protect in this, in this division. And so, Maybe somebody with a little bit more experience may be great. Now, I'd love for Abe Lucas to win out that job and to prove that he's better and that his any flaws he has can be compensated for. He can still be a serviceable starter for you. But I think that the O-line has a better chance of succeeding if there was somebody with a little bit more experience, even a Jake Curhan. So we'll see. But that's definitely something to look out for that I don't think anybody else is talking about, but could be big when you're talking about who's going to be the week one starter if you got another candidate to throw into the mix. So let's move away from that and let's talk about the rookies, some of the standout rookies. And Pete spent some time talking about how they did. He was very impressed with Boye Mafe and does hope that he will be able to contribute. He, he holds out hope is what he said. And so, to me, I think that means he's what we think, a rotation player. They think he'll be able to contribute, but he's still got some work to do. What I found most interesting is that he compared him to the likes of Cliff Averill, which if Boye Mafe can turn out to be close to what Cliff Averill was to this team, that's that's a draft hit. And that could work out very well for a Seattle Seahawks team that needs its defense to shine. So, he said he's got the bend, the athleticism of Cliff Averill, and paired with Daryl Taylor, who we know has the potential to be a double-digit double, double digit sack guy. That could be an incredible pass rush, and that's exactly what this team has needed for years now. So that was really exciting to hear. I don't really have a ton of breakdown on it, but I just found it to be exciting. And 
yeah, that's pretty much it on that. He also talked a little bit about Kobe Bryant and how well he done. He actually said he's had, he has probably some of the most natural hands of anybody at camp, which is pretty impressive, a compliment for a rookie. And to me, that means he's got the potential to be a ball hawk, which you absolutely love to see. The Seahawks used to be great with turnovers. Pete Carroll has always emphasized turnovers as a really important part. And even when the defense has struggled at times, turnovers has been the one bright spot of the team. And that's really how they've been able to win games because of turnovers. For example, in 2020, the Seahawks ranked eighth in turnovers for the in the NFL in the NFL. Can't speak. But in 2021, they ranked 25th. They only had 18 turnovers, 11 interceptions the entire year. No wonder it was such a bad record, right? Yeah, I know. It was rough for the Seahawks. And so they need a cornerback in particular to step up and be a ball hawk for this team. And Kobe Bryant has a good chance to start. I think he's got a way higher chance to start than than Tyreek Woolen. We'll talk more about Tyreek Woolen in a second. But he's got a really solid chance to start particularly if Trey Brown isn't ready, if he's not healthy yet, if he has to start training camp late or what have you, I can actually see Kobe Bryant getting some reasonable reps. It's not like Trey Brown has a ton of experience under his belt where he's just owed that position. It's possible that he gets beat out by Kobe Bryant. Now, it all health being withstanding, I do think Trey Brown gets the starting spot for now. But like I said, it can come down to just who has the advantage with having more reps. So that'll be interesting to watch but if he can make a difference for this team with turnovers him paired with the great ball hawking skills of Quandre Diggs I think would be a phenomenal combination and a huge turnaround for the Seahawks coming off of a really down year in that regard and speaking of cornerbacks of the future gotta talk about Tariq Woolen Pete said that he had the flashiest camp of anybody in the team and that actually the players took notice of his combination of size and speed and potential playmaking ability. He's still very raw, so you won't see him start anytime soon. But he's got a lot of potential, and it's really exciting to hear him talk about it. So I thought I'd look a little bit more into it and sort of dive deep into what is Tariq Woolen's potential? Really, what can he be for this team? And when I looked it up, the it's exciting stuff. Like, this guy has the potential to be all pro. I mean, he could really be a superstar in this league if he can figure out how to put it all together. I mean, we're talking about a 6'4 corner who's 250 pounds with over 33-inch arms. That's an incredible combination. He's 23, so still relatively young, and he's really new to the position. He was actually converted from wide receiver to cornerback just a couple of years ago. Sound familiar? Yeah, Richard Sherman, right? And he doesn't yet have the IQ, the, the intelligence, I think, that Richard Sermon had. So they're different that way. But Richard Sermon never had the speed that Tariq has either. So there's that. This guy's fast, fast. It's what Pete Carroll said. And they sort of envision him potentially playing sort of a, a Brandon Browner type of role, except for Tariq is much faster. How fast is he? Well... I mentioned before, he ran a 4-2-6 at the combine for his 40. That was the fastest of all of the rookies. And that's pretty impressive stuff. But it gets even better. 
not only was that the fastest of all rookies, but his athleticism score overall was the 85th best athletic score going back to 1987. So of all of the cornerbacks who participated in the NFL combine, his athletic score was historically good. Historically good, guys. So that's extremely promising to his future. He's got the size and the length of Sherman, but the speed of basically a track star. One thing that was particularly impressive for him that Coach Carroll talked about and that got the attention of the other players was just how well he was able to keep up with fast players like Marquise Goodwin. He was able to keep up with them and, you know, really, you can't make plays on the ball at this point in camp, but you could just see him uh, sort of being able to position himself in the right ways to make plays on the ball against a really fast player. That's going to be really important, especially considering how elite the talent is at wide receiver. You really need somebody who can who can compete with those type of athletes at that position. And given that he's a wide receiver himself, I think he'll be able to do that in a great way in terms of predicting routes and all of that. I think that knowledge will be great for him. What he has to learn is a situational type of things, understanding the things around him, understanding that he cannot make sort of these ticky-tack plays. Like he probably has a tendency to hold a lot, and so that, that'll get him if he can ever sort of clean that type of stuff up. And Pete Carroll is the absolute right coach to help him do that. Then he's got a chance to really be one of the best cornerbacks in this league if he can put it together, which is extremely exciting. People keep saying he's raw for a reason, though. He really only played against one power five opponent in his 16 starts. And so there's still a lot of work to do there. I think he probably won't be a starter quality type of cornerback. My guess is for two years, to be honest. I'd be surprised if after one year he was really able to put it all together. I think after one year he might be able to make contributing snaps as a rotational player. Hopefully. I think that's the best case scenario that after one year he's able to contribute in rotation. And after two years, he's able to become a long-term starter for this team, which will be absolutely great to see. So this future is bright for this team. A lot of people don't have high expectations for this team because it's so full of young players and they have so much that hasn't been proven. But it's a refreshing change, I think, for myself and for most of you guys listening who get tired of just Seeing the proven talent hit their ceiling, not having the speed, not having the athleticism to really be able to compete in a league that's only getting more fast and athletic. And so I'm happy to see it. This team built its Super Bowl run on players who were young looking to prove themselves. And it is my hope that these players are just as young and as hungry to win and approve their place in this league, that they have those chips on their shoulder in the same ways that the Legion of Boom were. Now, I'm not sure if if it'll be to that extent because that's one thing I will say, a conclusion that I came away from out of the camp. With these rookies, you didn't hear a lot about the chip on the shoulder kind of guys. And I don't know, I don't have an opinion yet on whether that's good or bad. It's different. Generally, they they like the chip on the shoulder guys, but maybe they just want guys who will fit into the culture more. So hopefully these guys have the work ethic to really put themselves on the map because certainly the Seahawks have put themselves in the the position to hit on these picks by looking at the traits and the needs and the culture of where the team is going. But it's just a matter of does it work out and how the chips fall. 
Still really early in this process, but it's for sure a fun thing to watch as we look at the training camp and preseason. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time on Seahawks 360, we'll talk about what are the players who have to redeem themselves the most. We'll go into depth on Redemption Row. There may be a couple surprises in there too. So look forward to that. In the meantime, make sure you follow me, your host, on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at CandaceH901. That's C-A-N-D-A-C-E-H-901. And be sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks. And be sure to leave a review, share, and comment. We'd love to hear you guys' feedback. That's it. That's all I got for today, guys. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks.